0: Sinners and Saints, dust off those horns and halos. It's time for Alan After Dark. Sinners and Saints, welcome to the latest edition of Alan After Dark. I hope you're feeling well. I hope you're feeling sexy. I hope you're ready for a night of chills, thrills, and spills. We are in the middle of the Halloween season, which is my favorite time of year, but we have an added bonus this week. It is Friday the 13th, a great day fit for celebrating, unless you're camping at Crystal Lake. Have you guys watched the movies, not the remakes, but the originals? They would always say Camp Crystal Lake, and that's almost a tongue twister. I always like to say Crystal Lake, but if you remember, as the movies progressed, the summer camp really did kind of go away, and Jason just sort of lurked around the entire lake. Except for that ridiculous time he wound up in Manhattan. Uh, I guess even zombie resurrected mass murderers that carry a machete sometimes want a weekend in the city. (coughs) Frickatrice Catechophobia. Try saying that three times in a row without getting a tongue hernia. That word is one of several words that describes the fear of Friday the 13th, the date, or actually perhaps just the combination of Friday and 13. My mother actually has that phobia. I think it's gotten better over the years, but she does have a very good reason for being wary of Friday the 13th. When I was about seven years old, my uncle my mother's brother was killed in a terrible car accident on Friday the 13th and it just stuck with her that the day that combination was some sort of bad luck but as you get older and you start understanding things I think it goes away and I, I look at Friday the 13th actually as a lucky combination in this instance my mother does have a reason though over the years as time has passed she has really not fully but but has really come to terms with what happened that day and doesn't really have the same phobia that she did it's still there and i know that if anything was to happen that she would go back into the phobia even deeper and you know what it's almost like The phobia is based in superstition or the folklore, and perhaps even the movie, but the Friday the 13th combination, there was fear of that well before the movies. I remember once when I was traveling, I I was on business travel and my mother was very upset that I was traveling on Friday the 13th. And I used that travel day as a way to show her that it was just, a matter of circumstance. It was just coincidental that the day her brother died was on Friday the 13th. I mean, for me, whatever date that was would be the date that I would have issues with, I would have feelings for, like we all do when people that we love have died. The anniversary of their deaths always brings back terrible feelings and sadness. It's just that on the day that my uncle died, that my mom's brother died, there was already the superstitions and the folklore surrounding that day. Now that I've established this eerie feeling surrounding Friday the 13th, let's take a trip back in time to some of the scariest things that have ever happened to me. This first incident that we're going to talk about tonight happened when i was a server in a bar as i described in the previous episode i worked in a gay bar for almost 10 years and there were a lot of weird and unusual things that happened there that are unexplainable and and unexplainable as well if you apply science and coincidence and circumstance This event that I'm going to talk about, let's put it under the category of paranormal. It was a Friday night and it was really busy. We were absolutely swamped and it was fun. We were having a great time, but the entire staff, we were working our asses off. I don't know if you've ever experienced it or worked in a bar, but when it's really busy, every person that's working is really focused on providing our customers with great service and timely service and you get so focused that sometimes you can lose track of certain things and in the middle of the night in this pandemonium the head bartender she comes over to me and she says hey alan i made this drink for this guy and he just suddenly disappeared and i'm just going to ring it up on uh, the spill sheet but do you want it now let me add something to this on occasion Okay. On frequent occasions, some of us staff members would indulge in cocktails during our shifts, trying to keep it within reason. If one of the other bartenders or servers offered you a drink or a shot, most of the time you would take it. We had to pay for them one way or the other. So she gave me the drink. She was going to put it on her spill sheet because the the uh, client, the customer, just seemed to disappear. But basically, I rung it up on my tab as a drink and I did pour it into my cup and I sipped on it and enjoyed the drink. It was a screwdriver or for you more modern people, it was a vodka and orange juice. And the day, the evening went on as usual. It stayed busy for quite a while. Actually, all the way up until close that night. So it was me and two bartenders closing up. And, you know, stayed busy, got everything done. We were kind of quiet at close. I was very tired. I had worked my first job, come straight from that job to my second job. So I had been basically working for over 18 hours, give or take, actually 20 hours. So I was looking forward to getting home and just going to bed, taking a shower and going to bed. So on the way home, it's I don't want to get too detailed here, but I always had to take, i take the streets to get to the interstate, or the freeway if you want to call it that, and go to the north side of town where I lived at the time. To get to the interstate, there was this really sharp turn off of one of the main thoroughfares in the city. And so, everything seems fine, it's not busy as far as the roads go, there's virtually no traffic usually at that time anyway. It was about 3.30 or so. We were able to get in and out of the the, uh, the bar very quickly that morning. I take this turn. I'm, I am tired. And I take the turn at the light, turn right. There was a man in a brown coat standing there. I slam on the brakes. In panic, I'm like, oh my God, I just hit someone. I stopped the car, not realizing that I didn't hear a thump or a thud. Get out of the car look everywhere there was no one there and I was like am I that delusional and I know that some of you will say that I was getting myself out together getting in the car and heading home you know I was rattled but finally I got home and calmed down took my shower went to bed and went to sleep I was looking forward to the next night of just getting to celebrate and party but the server that was scheduled for that night, one of the servers that was scheduled for that night, basically said he wasn't coming in. So they called me and I said, well, yeah, I'll cover that shift, even though I didn't want to. I was exhausted still, but I wanted to party. You know, big difference, I know, it's not the same. If you're a server, you're working your ass off. If you're a customer, you get to sit there and drink and enjoy your friends. It's a big difference. Although, as a customer, you're spending money and as a server, you're making money. That Saturday night, it was a very slow night. It was a very unusually slow night. So I was kind of chatting with the head bartender. She was kind of bored, I was kind of bored. I told her the story. I said, well, last night when I was heading home, I thought I hit this guy and it was so strange. I said, he was so distinctive. He wore this brown coat. You should have seen the look on the bartender's face she actually grabbed my arm and she said brown coat did he have like dark hair and i was like well yes best i could remember but he was turned away from me i couldn't see the face but once again it was my imagination He wasn't really there because I got out of the car and I checked everywhere. I even checked on the side of the street, even into the weeds that were next to the sidewalk, and he wasn't there. The color was leaving her face. And she said, Alan, you remember that drink I gave you last night, the vodka orange juice? And I'm like, well, yeah. She goes, I told you that the customer just seemed to disappear after he ordered it. Well, you just described that customer. I took his order. I turned around, made the drink and turned back around and he was gone nowhere to be found and she said that she actually walked around the bar looking for him and couldn't find him now let me just say that the building where the bar was located there had been talk for years that the building was haunted that one of the previous establishments that was there that there had been a fight and a man had been killed stabbed or shot they would just say that his spirit lingered in that building that he i mean there was talk that he had he comes in to order a drink but then he disappears when a bartender prepares it it does kind of fit into that story that legend that folklore honestly i still kind of chalk the incident up to me being really really tired but There is no denying the reaction that the bartender had when I told her that story. Let me stress something here, too. The bartender, she was known for her memory. If you met her just one time and you told her your name, she remembered it, even if it had been two years later, it seemed. So if someone someone is saying, oh, well, how could she have remembered what the guy looked like and what he wore? I promise you her memory was that good. If anything, my memory would have been the one that was faulty. That provided more credibility to the whole story because she was basically famous for being able to remember people's names. There's an additional story I can tell that involves the same bartender. And I remember her telling me She got, she got in a lot of trouble. She was almost fired at the closing time. The bartender has their responsibility and the servers have their responsibilities. The bartenders were responsible for the ice machine, which is a critical part, of course, to any bar, you have to have good, clean ice and an ample supply of it in order to serve your drinks. She was doing something to the effect of filling the bins with ice but she was in the back section behind the bars. She said that as she was filling one of the containers that we used to fill the bins that she suddenly felt hands like on her shoulders almost toward her neck. Immediately she panicked and she ran out of the building and left. Well, she left the ice machine door open. So the next day when... The owner of the bar came in. He discovered it immediately and saw that there was no ice and that there was potentially damage done to the machine. She was lucky that the machine was still working. It's just that we had no ice. And the machine had to go into overdrive, basically, to fill so we could keep up with demand that happened that night. But she told me that she truly felt someone touch her on the shoulders toward her neck and it terrified her and she hoped that someone would stay with her at closing time from that point on now I don't know if people did usually she and I it was rare that we worked on the same ships. but when we did I usually was there unless she wasn't finished with her duties she would just say oh go ahead I'm fine after that incident she never wanted me to leave again and I'm pretty sure that other servers stayed around and waited for the bartender to be finished as well and we did have a rule I'll tell I'll talk about that in a later episode but something happened in which it was just decided that no one left that bar by themselves at closing time ever again but that'll be for a different episode. So having told two paranormal stories, I'm gonna go back further in time to an incident that isn't paranormal or supernatural. The first club I went to when I came out, I basically treated it like a church. It It was my favorite place to go. And I would go every Friday and Saturday without fail unless I was sick or there was something else going on that was more pressing. As I've described in previous episodes, I grew in confidence when I understood that I wasn't as ugly as I thought I was. My personality, as far as certain things, have really remained unchanged throughout my life. I've always been a curious person. I always love people watching and I love observing situations. I think it's one way that we learn being at the club, even though I might be on the prowl, I did observe a lot of people in a lot of situations, and maybe that was part of my MO. Maybe that's how I did things. I would try to learn a lot about a person before I'm approached. Well, that's only on some occasions. It depended upon how I was feeling. If I was horny and wanted to get laid, those parameters went out the window. I would just approach somebody that I thought was hot and say, hey, you want to get busy? But I'm going off on a tangent there. There was a certain night. Well, there was this guy that I had seen a few times. He really did push my buttons. If I was going to describe him, I would have called him a twinkish cub, but more on the cubish side, even though at that time, I looked like a twink, even though I'm pretty much too old at that point to be a twink. You can still look like one. For whatever reason on that night, I decided I was going to approach him. I wanted to go home with him. I wanted to have sex. And so I did, and he at first was courteous and engaged in conversation, but I got the sense that he really wasn't interested in me. Eventually, he just walked away, and so I did take that sledgehammer hit over the head as a clear signal that he wasn't going to tiptoe through the tulips with me, but that didn't stop me from at least looking at him from afar with lust in my heart. On this night, after I'd approached him, I continued to watch him even though I was sort of catting around looking for some, but he stayed in my sights. I, I really was watching him because he was very nice to look at, very attractive, very hot. Then, however, this person come in, this man came in, he was wearing this green coat that looked like a raincoat, uh, a very thick beard, hair that covered down almost to cover his eyes. When I saw him, I got this vibe that told me that he was troubled because my impression was is that he was dressed the way he was. He had his hair and beard the way it was as a way to disguise his appearance. He was trying to cover his identity. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking. I was really jumping to conclusions with that situation. But like I've said before, I always go with my gut instincts. I think your gut instincts will protect you a lot more then they will misdirect you. So he kind of took my attention away from all the hotties in the room because he stood out by the way he looked. Yes, I'm judging a book by its cover. But let me remind you that I was only about 22, maybe 23 at this time. So I was very naive about things and all I had to go by were my gut instincts and since I trusted them I was going to go with them. For all the newbies that are just now tuning in to to Alan After Dark let me describe the club. One of the unique characteristics about this club was that it had a sunken dance floor and there was this railing along three sides that you could lean against and look down on the dance floor at the ones dancing and they could look up at you and it's one of the easy ways to make eye contact with someone that you might find attractive. I utilized that a lot throughout my time spent at that club. So on this night I went over to the railing to look look at the dancers and stuff. I noticed the cubbish guy that I tried to hook up with was talking to this guy with the unique appearance with the green raincoat and the hair that covered most of his face. I just kept my eyes on it. I was surprised because the Cubbish guy was very college prep. He was very preppy. I thought perhaps his family was wealthy, but they were talking and then all of a sudden they were dancing. Well, the Cubbish guy was dancing. The other guy was kind of standing on the dance floor, moving a little bit. The image just stuck with me, and I watched for a while. I finally wanted to get another drink, so I went to my bartender to get a drink, and when I came back, they weren't on the floor anymore. So I kinda let it go, you know, que serba sera, whatever will be, will be. I struck out, and he was gone from the dance floor, so he wasn't there to look at. So move on to the next conquest, or attempted conquest. Flash forward, a few weeks later and it just struck me one night that I hadn't seen the guy since that night the cubish guy and then I realized I never saw him again after that night and you know what do you do on that I didn't know his name I would asked around a little bit but my description was so vague for a gay bar I was describing like 35 different guys even to this day obviously it weighs on me what happened and let me just say this too we've had some terrible things happen to people that were at the club that met up or hooked up with a person with dangerous intentions we've actually had a murder of someone who worked at this bar that has never been solved and we've had more than one murder that has happened in the community that makes you realize that well, at least at that time that the police, I mean, there were there are good police and there are wonderful police that are that don't care about people who are gay or whatever. They want to solve the crime. But there are as many that are anti-gay in the police force that didn't give a rat's ass. So, what were you what was I going to do if nobody knew who I was talking about and nobody else was talking about a person being missing? I just had to assume that everything was okay and he just decided not to come out to the clubs anymore. But, you know, what if something bad did happen? I would just hope that there would have been something on the news or or somewhere that would have gotten out that I could have said, well, hey, there was this guy that he was with that I found a little bit suspicious. It's those kinds of things that, that you learned relatively quickly. I'll just say this. When I started going to the clubs, I had this sort of really naïve belief that what would happen is you went to the clubs, you met somebody, and you become friends, and then you become lovers, and perhaps you become husbands. Before gay marriage was legal, we just usually would say partners or a boyfriend or something like that. But that's what you thought about. You thought, at least that's what I thought about, is that there was these steps you took and that you would live happily ever after. Well, it took, you know, a couple of months before I realized, well, most guys really weren't looking for a relationship in the clubs. They were looking for a little slap and tickle, a little bump and ugly. So I guess, you know, for me too, though, I was looking for that, but I always hoped that one of these one-night stands or 12-night stands would lead to that permanent relationship. Obviously it didn't, but that's what I was hoping for. Once I realized that that it was not the case and my beliefs were were incorrect, I kind of jumped on the bandwagon, of course, and went wild. But I think you learn those lessons, the school of hard knocks, and you become more instinctual sometimes in what you do. You also made sure that someone you knew, a friend, knew exactly who you were going home with. I always made it a habit of it is to take a picture. If I was following them home, I took a picture of their their license plate. I mean, that might sound extreme, but when I was hooking up with them, I would tell them, I've taken a picture of your license plate and I sent it to a friend, just in case you have ill intentions. Thankfully, they didn't, other than getting in my pants and making me feel good. But you wanted to be sure. You wanted to make sure that people knew that you took precautions to prevent the likelihood of you being hurt or killed by a trick. It's pretty tragic to think about that, isn't it? That you can't just go out to have a good time. That there are people who literally hunt within a club for people to sometimes rob, but a lot of times to hurt or even kill. I grew up in that atmosphere. And I guess that's why I also, I'm wary of the hookup apps because I've been witness to some terrible things that have happened to people in situations that should have been just fun, but become disastrous. So I don't really think of it as being a shock that I'm single and that I like being single. I have to break through some of these trust issues that have carried over from those very first times I was in a gay bar. On occasion, when you see a homophobic judge let a suspect, a person who, who in my opinion, commit murder, and you basically give them probation, that kind of... Behavior from a judge and the justice system actually emboldens the bashers, the anti-gay people, to do even more harm. You know, if if the justice system isn't going to protect gay people, I don't know what we would do. We're lucky that in some areas of the country that the gay community is protected. But how many times have we not heard of an incident? How many times do people keep the violence against them secret? It is one of the horrors of just wanting to live your life in peace. So coming full circle, I'm sure some of you have questions about the man in the brown coat. And did we ever have any incidences with him again? Well, I'll just say this. While I didn't specifically have any other experience that I can remember other people have had experiences not necessarily connected with the man in the brown coat, but they have had strange things that have happened to them at the bar. Thank you for joining me for another nightmarish episode of Allen After Dark. Remember, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. We'll see you soon.